Welcome to Black Feminist Rants, conversations on reproductive justice and activism. Black Feminist Rants is a podcast where we focus on reproductive justice, student activism, and what it means to be a young Black feminist today. Each episode, this podcast will serve as a safe space for us to rant about the specific issues surrounding being a Black woman and femme in the social justice landscape. We will also learn and grow as we engage with different reproductive justice and social justice topics. I am your host, Lakia Williams, and let's begin. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Feminist Rants. Um, For this episode of BFR, we are going to be talking about the exploitation of student labor. Um, This is a very kind of exciting topic because I feel like I talk with my friends about this all the time, just kind of my frustration with feeling exploited as um, a student um, and as a young person. So I have a lot of feelings about it, but I don't want to get too like ranty because I think there's a lot of like facts and research that have been done around this. So I kind of want to touch a little bit on that too, while also giving my personal experience. So that's what I'm going to try to do this episode. But the specific topics that I'm going to be covering today are unpaid internships, of course, Uh, universities exploiting student activism and leadership and then my specific experience as a resident resident advisor and the specific exploitation that RAs um, experiences experience on campuses especially mine which is very timely for the work that's being done on my campus so I really want to talk about it so that's what we're going to touch on today and so just starting us off I think a hundred no I know a hundred percent of the people listening to this podcast know that unpaid internships are not it unpaid internships are exploitation unpaid internships are um really just free labor for corporations and organizations at the detriment of young people and students people that are very vulnerable people that are really desperate for this experience in order to get jobs and stuff I'm gonna touch about I'm gonna touch on that in a little bit, but I just want to say I know we all agree on that, so I know I don't have to make any large claims because that is very much well known, and it's wild how it's so well known, but yet it still exists. Interesting, right? So we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Um, I think that unpaid internships are probably the most prolific form of student labor exploitation um, because it's like the most accepted, it's expected. There's always these workshops on how to get an internship and I will be transparent. I hosted a reproductive justice internship panel when I was president of Students United for Reproductive Justice, but I will say I only invited people who were getting paid somehow. Grants or the internship was paid or something. Only people who were getting paid could come sit on the panel because we're not going to promote unpaid internships. Um, And I did have one unpaid internship, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Ghetto, but we're gonna talk about that later. Um, But yeah, so there's all these, um, there's so much emphasis on internships and schools are like, I know my school has internship requirement for graduation. So internships are like a expected part of like, I guess the collegiate experience and the post-grad experience. Um, And even really in high school, there's a lot of Well, at least in my experience, there was some emphasis on internships, but it wasn't that serious as it is in college. But that seems like when you go to college, it's expected that at some point you're going to get an internship because you need that experience um, for the job market. And so because slavery is, quote unquote, illegal in this country, no work should be unpaid, one would think. But there are certain criteria set by the Fair Labor Standards, Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, that internships are required to meet in order to be unpaid. And so the six requirements, I'm going to read them verbatim from the Fair Labor Standards Act. 
They are, one, the internship, even though it includes actual operation of the facilities of the employer, is similar to training which would be given in an educational environment. So the internship has to have some educational component. Number two, the internship experience is for the benefit of the intern. Um, I feel like that's rarely the case. I mean, obviously interns a benefit, but largely to the benefit of the corporation, organization, university, whoever. Um, number three is the intern does not displace regular employees, but works under close supervision of existing staff. Um, four, the employer that provides the training derives no immediate advantage from the activities of the intern. And on occasion, its operations may actually be impeded. Um, number five, the intern is not necessarily entitled to a job at the conclusion of the internship. And number six, the employer and the intern understand that the intern is not entitled to wages for the time spent in the internship. So those are the things that organizations have to adhere to in order to be classified as an unpaid internship legally. Um, but honestly, there's really, I mean, who's really checking to make sure every internship meets these criteria um, and that's a really big issue in the United States in general is that we have all these laws but enforcement of the laws um, it's only used when it's in order to murder black people but really enforcement of the laws that are meant to protect uh, the individual and protect residents and people um, they're not really enforced and that's why you get like all these civil lawsuits and things because um, people aren't on the grounds making sure that corporations and organizations are being um, held accountable so that checks and balances isn't always there um, but law enforcement is there when we want to police. So we kind of see the priorities of this nation state. But that is a tangent. I'm going to get back on topic to uh, student labor exploitation. Um, and honestly, we could really go in depth on student labor exploitation about grad students and the, explo the exploitation that like PhD students face. Um, I am an undergraduate student. I don't have any experience with that. And so this is a solo episode. So I'm not going to touch too much on that. But if you're interested, we can have another episode where I invite a guest speaker who has experience with that and we can talk more in depthly on that end of the exploitation as well but for today we're going to focus on undergraduates as that's kind of more of my familiarity and to the issue of unpaid internship it's really rooted in the fact that we're in a capitalist society and in order to survive you need money to pay for shelter and food and water and heat and all these things and more so in this country, there's this expectation that in order to get money, you will work. That's usually the general expectation is that people will be employed, they will um, provide labor, they will get compensated for that labor, and then they'll use that money in order to get things that they need necessary to survive. Um, and that's why we don't have social services, because we're expecting people to work in order to provide for themselves and not have social services to support um, its citizens and its residents. That is a whole like <laughs> that is a whole another topic where we could talk about the lack of social services in the U.S. Um, I kind of touched on this in my panel with the Democratic Socialist of America panel with Dissent Magazine, um, but I'll link that in the in the description below if y'all want to check that out. But today we're going to talk about exploitation of student labor. So because I was saying all this to say, in order to live and survive, you need money. So therefore, if money and work is necessary for survival. Why would we have any work that is not paid? Well, there's this article that I will link below um, by Medium that's called Stop Working for Free. And it talks about how unpaid internships are really just a system to um, widen or keep the class divide that already exists. Um, so people who can afford to work um, unpaid internships are people who come from generational wealth or who come from families who have um, 
financial stability. And those are the people who can get these uh, really prestigious internship programs that don't pay you like on Wall Street or like in these governmental agencies that are unpaid. And they can afford to do that because they have family members that can afford to support them um, and pay for their rent or give them pay for their groceries and stuff while they're working in DC or working wherever. And those people then can create these networks and um, connections with people in higher positions and are more easily able to secure jobs post-graduation because they've already been in close communication and in close proximity to people with positional power and privileges and people who do hiring and things like that. So people who um, can't afford to take an unpaid internship because they have bills to pay and they don't have family who can pay their rent the family can pay their own rent as well as the child or the student's rent when they're interning whatever. So they have to forego these um, like prestigious internship programs that will align them with jobs after college and instead have to work jobs outside of their field, which then makes the job process, um, you're coming into the job market post-graduation without really any footing because you haven't had the opportunity to get any experience because you can't afford to work for free. And so I really like this article. I'm gonna get into some of the quotes um, where they give some specifics, but that's kind of the background or the framing of it, and I'll link it below so you can check it out. I highly recommend you read it. Um, and in the article, they actually quote Charles Murray in a New York Times op-ed, and his quote um, reads, um, an unpaid internship amounts to career assistance for rich, smart children. Um, internships pave the way for children to move seamlessly from their privileged upbringings to privileged careers without ever holding a job that is boring or physically demanding. Um, and then they go on to talk about how the boring, physically demanding jobs are usually conducted by marginalized people um, who are usually underplayed and exploited in those jobs as well. So the people who come from wealthy backgrounds, they can get um, an internship where their supervisor is some um, person with a high position in this corporation while someone who can't afford to take the underpaid internship is going to work at their local supermarket um, and usually be underpaid for their work um, and exploited under capitalism while the person who isn't paid, while they're not getting paid, they're getting um, really useful connections that they can leverage in the job hunting market when they need recommendation letters or if they want to work at that company that they interned at, they already have, the company has already had a trial period with you essentially and has seen you work and doesn't really need to take you through an internship process to hire you because they've already experienced you. And I want to say I have definitely experienced this, even though I don't come from generational wealth or like find like this crazy financial stability. My family does have a level of financial stability now at this point in my life. Um, but I have also seen this because I've had the opportunity to have paid internships um, like via V donors. So I'm going to talk a little bit about donors and the importance of that later. But so for Sister Song. If you've been with BFR since day one, if you're a real one and you've been here this entire time, you know I started this podcast this summer when I was intern at Sister Song. So Sister Song, for those of you who may not know really quickly, is the national reproductive justice um, organization in the country. It's a national women of color reproductive justice organization. And um, it's pretty prestigious for like the field that I'm in. So it's a really big deal. I mean, they are a really big deal. So basically I interned at Sister Song this summer because I was in a program called the Reproductive Rights Activist Service Corps. If you're interested in RJ, I'm mentioning these things because you should be Googling them and like looking into them so you can maybe get some of these opportunities as well. But yeah, so I was interned in that program and that program is funded by donors. 
So that program gives you, I'm just gonna say numbers because I believe in pay transparency. And also this is actually on their website anyways. But the program gives you $3,500 to work for 10 weeks at a reproductive justice organization. So you go through the program, you apply, you interview, and then you get matched with an organization based on like your top whatever. I think you can like list 10 organizations and there's like 30 or 40 or 50 on the list. So yeah, so I went through the RASCI uh, Reproductive Rights Activist Service Corps program and was able to get an internship at Sister Song. So Sister Song got a quote unquote unpaid intern, like they didn't pay for an intern, but I was being, I was being, um, I wasn't being paid for it, but I was being uh, compensated by this other program that was getting uh, funding from donors, wealthy people who can afford to donate to these organizations. So I didn't... So it was kind of like an unpaid internship, even though I was completely paid. So it was, I was paid through other means, but I will say with Sister Song specifically, they, um, there was me and another intern and they gave us like a $575 stipend just to, um, cause they said they felt that that was closer to the living wage standard. And because they are a social justice organization, a reproductive justice organization, they wanted to pay us equitably. So I thought that was amazing because i'm going to talk about this later but i've worked at other organizations where i was paid externally from them and no one has ever mentioned paying me more or like closer to a living wage standard so i thought that was super amazing even when they don't have to even when i'm already being paid they're ensuring that we're being um compensated fairly so i thought that was amazing but anyways so through that program um that i was being able to get paid for from donors um, I interned at Sister Song for the entire summer. Then they kept me on as a contractor, which was supposed to be until December 31st um, of this year, 2020. Um, but just recently, they offered me a position as uh, an employee where I'm like, you know, have like a salary position. And so from my internship, I went from intern to contractor to employee. That's literally how the internship, like, that's how that's how seamlessly it works and granted i've had many internships and this is my first one that's turned into a job but this is really the only one that i would really like i mean this is i would when she when monica called me and said you know this is like your offer da, 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 i was so excited this is only when i was really like checking for a possible job i didn't even know if it was possible but that's really how internships work because if you think about it you work there they get to see they get like a trial period with you like i said earlier you work um they get to see your strengths and your weaknesses they see what you can add to the company they um you don't have a specific position so they can try you out in different uh offices or you know whatever so i was working i did some work with um with some communications i did some work with program development uh, i helped a little bit with the newsletter just like minor minor details so they were able to see my skill set because i was i was doing work in all different wherever i was needed assistance at, i was doing work so they were really able to see the benefit that i could bring to the organization so after that they're like oh well you're already planning all these other things we're going to keep you on after your internship and pay you and then they continued to see i guess um how i was able to add benefit to the organization and decided to hire me so they basically got a trial period with me while i was getting paid and getting experience doing different things and then i was able to put that on my resume and if i was looking for a different job or if i wanted to get a, a better offer or a different offer which i don't <laughs> i'm very happy but um I would have that experience on my resume and I could use that to make myself more marketable while I'm looking for jobs. And that's really what internships are about. It's it's about increasing your marketability in the job market. And this is very important because um, one, we're like in or about to be in a recession um, and we're seeing that 
people are needing more credentials in order to get jobs nowadays so more people are getting graduate degrees than ever before um the weight of a bachelor's degree is going down um and there's more people entering the job market more people are graduating more people have degrees there's a larger pool from for jobs to pull from so if jobs require a bachelor's degree you know 30 years ago you had a certain number of people who had a bachelor's degree and now that number is like more i'm not gonna say it doubled i don't know exactly the number but it's increased so they have it's it's more in line it's in their favor it's they have a larger um pool to pick from so on interns or for people who are looking for jobs who are newly entering the job market um recently graduated college students or high school students or graduate students they have to have something that stands out to them that's why a lot of undergrads after graduation instead of going straight into the job market like you know our parents or grandparents would have done are getting secondary degrees or they're going to you know grad school or getting a terminal degree because the job market has become so competitive well, a way to stand out in the job market is internships. And I feel like that's not even a way to stand out anymore. I feel like that's an expectation. Like, I don't think you can go to a job interview and not have an internship and be like plausible candidate is kind of my um, assumption. And this is where I think organizations and corporations and uh, universities can kind of exploit this uh, student labor because they know that we are desperate for all these experiences to make ourselves marketable to get jobs to be able to survive and live you know and support ourselves and our families so they have no incentive to pay us um it seems like it was designed or it has begun to exist in a way that in order to get a job and get paid you have to first work for free so you have to first pay your way <laughs> basically into work in order to get paid and uh, survive and the fact that I just outlined my trajectory into getting, you know, um, like employment via my internship is how, um, really highlights how wealthy people who can afford to take unpaid internships, um, you know, how they can progress through corporations and get these high paying jobs and, you know, connections while people who can't, who don't have access to, um, like a program like I had or don't have, um, the family means to support them through an internship which just furthers the uh, class divide. And I I didn't even think about that until I read the uh, Medium article, but it, it seems like everything in this country, not to be conspiracy theorists, but you know, on my like, my little thoughts, my little rants, um, how everything is designed so that those in power continue to have power and those without power continue to not have power. So every, so they say like, um, college is the great equalizer or and all these other things and pull yourself up by your bootstraps by going to college and living the american dream but then at every step of the way there's something that holds you back there's something like okay you get to college then once you get to college they say oh you need an internship then you look for internships none of them are paid only only the people i remember in my feminist honors class we read a book about someone getting an internship or they they eventually got a job but um working in new york city and their parents paid their rent for like a one bedroom apartment. Like just these wild scenarios that the average person just cannot afford. Like who is getting a one bedroom furnished apartment in New York City that their parents are paying for? What? Well, I go work for free. That is, that's not the reality for a lot of people, but it's reality for people who can afford it. And that's how they get all these impressive positions. Um, and it's not to say that they didn't deserve it or they were mediocre or mediocrity or whatever, which we could talk about, but there was someone else who could have just been just as qualified who applied, but couldn't even, didn't even have the luxury of sending in their application because 
they wouldn't have the means to support themselves in these positions. So, so I definitely think the exploitation of uh, student labor in that sense definitely recreates these wealth divides and these class divides that allow the wealthy to maintain their wealth and to maintain their status while the um, those without wealth and without generational wealth um, are just like back in this never ending loop of trying to get out but then there's so many roadblocks but we're at the same time we're told that it's just so easy to to get out of it when it's like really not and so switching gears a little bit similar to unpaid internships is student leadership and student activism and so this is something that i have experience with that i feel like looking back on it i definitely all the work that i did on campus um i do want to start by saying i definitely think my work was meaningful i learned so much about myself about organizing about conflict management about drama i learned so much uh doing the work on campus that i did and i'm very glad that i took on that work and i'm glad that i had the support that um helped me to do that work but at the same time i feel like that type of work is exploiting student labor because while i think i'm so smart and i think i'm so amazing and i come up with great ideas um i think some of the things that i was trying to address on campus and some of the things that my peers were addressing on campus are things that administrators could get in a room and see was a problem too i don't think we were uncovering these hidden secrets and these hidden problems these were very obvious problems that students were living with every day whether that's equity and um, not having resources for black students on campus or if that's not having access to plan b or whatever the issue is whatever issue that students are identifying administrators are just as um resource to be able to identify themselves even if they're not students because you can look on it you can have a conversation with students if you actually talk to the the students you're supposed to serve you'll you'll realize some of these problems so i feel like administration waits for us the student leaders or the student activists to identify a problem and then do all the work around the problem and then they'll come in last minute to kind of help or save the day or write a check or whatever after we've put in all of that effort but i feel like the people with the salaried positions sitting at their desk should be using company time to find these problems and address them and then bring in young people and student activists and student leaders and get their opinion and have them guide you on how to do it and then even that should become should come with a stipend i don't think that one i think it's the laziness of universities um to just not address any of the issues that they have because if you wanted to you could create a committee or whatever of, of administration and be like we need to identify some of the problems students have because obviously there's going to be some problems regardless and then you can invite some students in and be like hey like we want to talk to you about what are these issues and then you need to pay them but a lot of like that does happen but a lot of times students have to identify a problem so i have to identify that People needed emergency contraception. They couldn't access it for various reasons, money, transportation, all these other things. And then I had to seek out outside support, get help, and then I seeked internal support and from various universe from very specific university partners. And so after I get their support and I enlist these other students and use their student labor and create this program and support um the student body once the university sees oh look at this great program then on the back end they want to support after all these young people and all these students and all these junior faculty members and people who aren't even faculty who work for the university once they have enlisted the people with like the least amount of privilege in the university system once they've used once they've committed all their labor to this project now the university wants to come in and, and provide money and support at the back end and i think universities um kind of kind of rely on the fact that students want to be leaders and they want to be student activists and i think that all gets back into the fact that we want to do this is because we need to be marketable for the job market and if 
we can't go in straight to our first job with 10 years of experience so we need to leverage some of the experiences we have on campus and so we are incentivized to do this free labor on campus in order to get these unpaid internships or in order to get these jobs post-graduation and so it kind of shows how everything is connected the exploitation of students is connected to universities to internships to jobs and we are expected to do all this free labor and leaders leading via leadership and activism while taking a full course load of classes while working jobs that actually pay us so we can survive while applying for post-grad opportunities and internships and stuff and it's like i mean you see how it's so stressful being a i mean a young person today with all like this um all this i mean stress but expectation to excel and to excel in so many different things and i think for me personally i think a lot of my feeling of overwhelmedness or being overwhelmed has come from feeling like i have to do absolutely everything and i think as um, I'm not technically first gen. My mom went to college when I was in uh, elementary school and then she went back when I was in high school. So she has her degree. So I'm not first gen. But as someone who hasn't had anyone in my family like go directly into college post uh, high school um, and not really knowing how. So my mom went to college after she had a job, but I didn't really know what it looked like to go to college and then have to find a job. You know, my mom found her job from like her first real job from a, like a temp agency and then got hired from from that right so I didn't really have any understanding of how like this post-grad thing worked and how I was supposed to get a job and so I was just trying to do everything right and I felt like I had to just like not having any guidance felt like I had to do absolutely everything and I think what I did definitely worked out for me but it also created a lot of burnout and a lot of stress and I mean I was just you know taking all these classes and then at one point I had like I mean, I've always had like four or five jobs, but it's just like you feel like you have to do absolutely everything. But honestly, I don't think I would even being in the position I am now, I don't think I would change anything because I think what I did did benefit me and ultimately getting a job. I mean, I think I'm successful now, so I think I got that success, but it's like at what cost? And I don't even think it's fair to say that um, I didn't have any advice. And so I chose this because I think even if I was to get advice, I'd probably get similar advice to what I ended up doing. Um, or if like my mom w went straight to college after high school, she probably would have given me the advice to do what I'm doing now, I would think, because, you know, it, it was successful. And that makes me think that it's because the system is meant to exploit student workers. Like we are meant to work our butts, our asses off in undergrad and in high school just in order to get a salary to support ourselves. And then you and then you graduate and then you get what a, sal a $25,000 salary like that's unacceptable. After I've put in, y'all should be paying me for all those years of unpaid labor I was doing too. Like, I need a signing bonus for all that work I've, like, it's just, it's kind of mind-blowing to me, um, the way that young people are exploited and then are expected, exploited for free labor, then expected to take pennies post-graduation because we are entry-level workers. Well, how am I entry-level and I'm such a new worker, but I've done all this work organizing and I've done all this free labor and I just, I just, um like was talking to someone and uh, they were like oh you like you've done so because I always say like I'm so young and blah 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 and they're like oh you've done so much you have so much experience though but I could still like apply to say I applied to some random job and they'd be like oh well, you're an entry-level worker so you're gonna get the the lowest pay which can barely you know pay rent for a one-bedroom in New Orleans and it's like 
but I'm so experienced. I've done all this work, but that really amounts to nothing because that work was exploited. So it's like they don't even they acknowledge the exploited labor of like internships and student organizing, but not enough to pay you as if that was um, like work experience. I don't know if that makes sense. So that's kind of where my mind was. <laughs> But also I feel like the route that I took and kind of overextending myself and doing a little bit of everything, which I know so many other young people have um, have been doing and doing more than I was even doing, which is just like, I can't even comprehend, is contradictory to what we are learning now about like the nap ministry on Instagram. Like if y'all don't know who they are, follow them. But um like take rest like rest is revolutionary like you can't do all the things you have to take time for yourself for self-care for rest for things that are important um like that's what we're like being learned being taught now to take care of ourselves but you can't do that and also it seems to me um that you can't do that and also expect to get a job post-graduation immediately like i feel like me getting a job you know before I graduated in May but getting a job I got this offer like maybe two or three weeks ago would not have been possible if I didn't do half the things that I was doing like I felt like that level of depletion of myself was kind of necessary for me to have this security now and even that honestly I feel like there's a level of luck because I know so many people that I go to school with or went to school with who graduated who did so much work and so much labor um and, and didn't get a job which that's also because of the pandemic that we're in but everything is so fickle nothing is guaranteed and it's like you can exploit yourself and, or you can allow yourself to be I won't even say allow yourself to be exploited because that sounds very victim blaming victim blaming but you can be forced into allowing <laughs> y'all I'm trying to get this out you can you can be forced into being exploited that's the one you can be forced into exploitation and still get no benefits from it at the end. Even though with like, okay, I'll do this unpaid internship, I'm being exploited, but at least I'll get a job at the end. That's not even guaranteed. A pandemic can happen. Jobs can just choose not to hire you. Um, with the market being saturated, there's, I mean, they can really just do as they want. They being jobs can only really do as they want. So there's really no guarantee into the post-grad life. And I'm, this is kind of coming out of my conversation with Tia Coleman on episode 14 where we talked about her post-grad uh, she just graduated and like her post-grad um goals or like what she's gonna do post-grad and kind of how that was an awakening and I was kind of talking about my fears of post-grad this was like maybe a month or month or so ago or something I don't know it was some time ago but my life has changed since then but um and I was like that is so real like those post-grad concerns and like what are you gonna do especially in a pandemic and kind of like she talked about how she um, depended on her identity as a student and she didn't really know who she was outside of being a student and going to school was her safety net. I like identified with that. I was like, who even is Kia outside of this person who runs himself ragged and just does school and does organizing and that's it. Like that's all like I've been doing recently. Um, and so I'm glad that I'm, I'm, I have a job and so I don't have to, I'm not going into grad school post my undergrad degree I'm so happy I'm taking a, a two-year gap um I'm gonna like get time to just experience myself and the world and learn more about who I am and like I feel like this is a personal ramp but ever since I moved off campus oh it's gonna be a good little segue into the RA1 okay cool so ever since I quit my job as resident advisor and moved off campus my first time living alone I have a one bedroom in New Orleans I feel like I'm learning so much about myself and like I'll text my mom and just be like 
I'm happy today. And she'll be like, what happened? And I'll tell her this mundane ass thing that like nothing happened. Like it's a mundane day, but like, I'm just, I don't even know if it's happiness or if it's just this feeling of joy and contentness, contentness that I have with my life that like, I'm getting teary eyed right now. Like I just feel so at peace right now. Um, really like, I mean, just being completely alone. Like I've always like, okay, I had a single like every year of college, but I'll be on a floor of like 20 to like 38 people that I'm supposed to like support. Like that's, that's literally never any solitude. Um, especially with how I am as an RA, I definitely, the, the only part of the RA role that I really appreciated or liked was interacting with my residents, which meant that they became comfortable with me and would always want to interact, which I mean, I, I enjoyed, but sometimes you want to break. <laughs> So just like being alone and having this time to really learn about myself and like make mistakes and like buy furniture and like budget bills, like I've enjoyed this. Um, but yeah, that's a whole personal thing. But I do want to talk about a specific experience of exploitation, which is as resident advisors. So resident, advi resident advisors or RAs are essentially these unpaid people who are meant to secure a floor in a residence hall. So. I've always had a first year floor. And so I have all the residents on that floor, all the first year students who live on that floor are my residents. I'm supposed to support them if they have any issues, literally ranging from anything, if they got locked out of their room to suicidal ideation or intimate partner violence, like literally anything. Any issue <laughs> that you could think of, RAs are supposed to be the first line of like kind of defense. And that wasn't so much the issue, not as much, but basically it was the exploitation of the housing and residence life, specifically at Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana, OMG, trash. Okay, so RAs are ex expected to really, I mean, you're on the clock 24 seven, essentially, like you're supposed to be available. I mean, I mean, they're understanding in the sense that, you know, you have class and you, you know, you want to go out and stuff like that, but like, you don't have specific hours, you're supposed to be, you know, available working. And so you're compensated for, your compensation looks like a room and board, which is housing and a meal plan, but no, no pay, no stipend, anything. And what goes into that role is you have to have a weekly meeting. I'm talking about Tulane University specifically, um, but I'm pretty sure it's similar at different universities, but you have to have weekly staff meetings you have to have floor meetings about three to five times a semester with your floor you have to plan floor events um once a month with your floor you have to do um, for my staff specifically at my school you have to do roommate agreements which means you have to go to every room and write a roommate agreement with the residents you have to do check-ins with a percentage of your residents each week and then you have to write up those check-ins and then you have to write a weekly report where you summarize what you did that week and how you supported people then you have to be on duty on the weekends which is 24 hours where you can't leave your dorm or your community but if you're secondary you can like be on campus but you can't leave campus and then you have to be on duty on the weeknight <laughs> which is like uh 5 p.m to 8 a.m the next day um, so it's not 24 hours, but basically on duty means if someone calls a duty phone, you have to respond. If they call at 3 a.m., you have to respond. If they call because they locked out the room, you have to go get the master key, unlock them. If they call for intoxication, you have to go check on them, call TUPD, the Tulane Police Department, call the professional staff on call, write a report, and then professional is going to call you back and say, hey, we didn't get your report, so then you got to rewrite the report because it didn't get sent even though you pressed send. <laughs> like all this other stuff that you have to do on top of being a student and then hrl says 
this job has to be your number one job outside of school so nothing else can come before this okay first of all no because all my other jobs that pay me are going to come before any job that doesn't pay me so that was my like theory off you know rip but basically i had a lot of issues with hrl exploiting that labor because if you think about it ras are doing so much we have to so i lived in communal style housing every year if i go to the bathroom and someone's like oh lakia like Da, 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 happen, da, da, da. I have to sit there and listen. I have to help them with this. I have to help them with that. And definitely you have the autonomy to be like, I'm not dealing with that today. But your experience as an RA is is determined by the relationship you have with your residents. And so you want to have the best rela- relationship. And at the end of the day, you want them to feel supported and like you care. So for me, I wanted to be as available as I could. But it was like I never got an escape because I didn't really know the balance of myself and them. And HRL does not do a good job at that because they kind of they kind of put on a pedestal RAs who are constantly available. That's kind of like what we're like, kind of like implicitly told to believe that we have to constantly be available to our residents, which is good for them, but terrible for us because I mean, junior year, senior year, I'm trying to, I'm applying for this, I'm applying for that. I've got lots going on. I'm getting jobs. Like I can't be available as much to these students, but that's what, that's what's expected to me expected of me i have to write my reports have to show that i'm engaging at least this many times with students and so basically this is becoming just an hrl rant but basically all that labor and to get no paycheck outlandish that is ridiculous that should be criminal and so i was done i had checked out like the first month of the job this year this is like my third year doing it i was looking for like places to move into got approved for my first place period signed that lease after i signed my lease i texted my boss i was like hey i'm gonna send you an email with my resignation effective tuesday even though it was friday <laughs> he said huh i said email sent <laughs> i'm kidding it didn't happen like that he said he was i don't know what he said but i was like yeah i just sent the email and like that was it and he was like is this your resignation and i was like yep that's that's it that's my resignation yikes so yeah and then so since i've left the ras on campus have been organizing with a list of demands for hrl which i'm so excited about because i had so many issues and i haven't y'all i haven't even mentioned the racism that's what crazy the job was so bad that i quit mind you i've never quit a job in my life y'all i've worked so much i have so many internships so many projects never quit anything in my life it was so bad i had to quit and i haven't even told you about the racism like you would think the racism would kick you, like, would push you away, but it was, like, the exploitation was, like, the kicker, like, I had, I, we not not I, but, like, the whole, everyone I was expected to do so much work for so little return, and then do so much work to be disrespected and disregarded, and for you to make decisions about my role without including me, and expecting me to, to do it without being paid? What? Exploitation. I've worked in, I haven't talked about my underpaid internship, but I've worked in government agencies. I've worked for nonprofit organizations and and, and I've worked for the university. And in my experience as an HRL employee, quote unquote employee, contractor basically has been the worst of my, uh, uh, <laughs> it's just been the worst. It's so much exploitation. Like I was not, I don't think like I was treated like a dignified employee. Like I was just treated as like, and they, they frame it as a student leadership position when they just work you and work you and work you. They are, if you're secondary, which means you don't have to hold the duty phone, which means like you're on duty, but you don't have all of the main task as a primary person, they can just call you whenever and have, ask you to do this. 
oh, can you, oh, we have to do bulletin boards. We have to do so much housekeeping and reporting. And then it's like an internal police system. We have to report everything. When I'm, I'm supposed to have, con- like, I got in trouble because I wasn't reporting as many conversations with my resident. I didn't get in trouble, but it's just like, hey, Lakia, like, you aren't, you know, doing as much reporting. Which, I mean, I understand. That's, like, a part of the job. They want me to report. They want to make sure I'm doing it. But it's like, I, if Sally Sue tells me about her losing her virginity with Johnny John, I'm, why would I put that in a report? I'm not putting that in a report. I don't care. I'm not going to do it. And so, the type of conversations I have with my residents, I'm, like, you know, a very sex-positive person. I'm very, you know, like go lucky type person that's they're gonna tell me like personal things i'm not putting that in a report i don't care i'm just not like if Susie says oh yeah i'm flying home for the weekend because i'm sad okay I'll, I'll put that in the report because you know we might need to check up on her but i'm not gonna put like their random personal stories in it like that level of policing is just annoying and then they police us the ras to ensure that we're policing the residents and something that stood out to me at Sister Song was during Sister Song training. Um, there's a question which says, "Name a system that has oppressed you, and name a name a time that you've oppressed someone else." And I had multiple examples for each of the answers, but one that was similar for both of them was being an RA. I said, "I think I've been oppressed as an RA or um, exploited as an RA in terms of not getting paid and." basically just not getting paid and some other things and you know like the racism and stuff that i mentioned earlier where i i touch briefly on um so that was one and then ways that i could have exploited or marginalized or oppressed other people was in my role as an ra being like a policeman on guard like having to report things having to like get intrusive information so the same system that's impressing me i'm also a part of that oppresses others and i think that kind of highlights how like the U.S. as a whole is set up that we become we become the people who oppress us and that is scary and so I'm glad that I got out of that um and I like I said earlier I've been so happy since I moved off campus um and yes I have bills and <laughs> bills and bills no I'm kidding I don't have that many bills but I have bills and stuff now but honestly I I feel so grown paying my little bills my mom texted me on like the 13th and was like did you pay rent I was like, girl, I hope so, because it's the 13th. If I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here right now or something would be a be a miss. But um, yeah, it's so fun. Like, like, I'm just having a great time. But yeah, I saved a lot and everything. So I won't say it was easy moving off campus, but so don't just like pack up and leave. But you know, you know, you have to like prepare and all that type of thing. So I couldn't leave exactly when I wanted to leave because in September, I wanted to be out like August 31st. <laughs> Already training started August 5th. By August 31st, I was like, I need to go. <laughs> but I didn't move out to October 5th because I had to stack my coin. But I knew in May that I didn't want to live on campus. So I started saving back in May. So just to give you a timeline from about mid-May to October 5th was me saving to move off campus. But yeah, so I think HRL um, <laughs> and residence uh, life is definitely exploitive of RAs. And there have been RAs across the nation who have unionized um in order to get paid stuff because i think it's a common practice to not pay your ras um which is just honestly terrible but i didn't even talk about my unpaid internship experience just briefly i worked for a united states senator excuse me and that was my only time not being paid which is interesting because you would think the government would pay its employees t but um yeah that was when i was in high school so i was living at home my only bill was paying gas and so I was privileged enough that I didn't have to like help pay bills at home or anything like that. So I could afford to not be paid. But once I got to college, it was a wrap. I did so many paid internships. And that's another thing I wanted to talk about. 
the internships that I did in um, in that college, they were at organizations that um, normally wouldn't have an intern because you know they're just like small community organizations, nonprofits. Um, and so I was in a program at my school called the Reproductive Rights and Reproductive Health Internship Program, which is funded by a donor um, who pays, who gives um, you know a donation. And so interns get paid twelve dollars an hour to work at community organizations addressing reproductive rights, health, and justice. And so I was in that program for two years. And I think having those experiences on my resume definitely helped me get programs like interning at Sister Song or like now I have a job at the Reproductive Justice Action Collective um, and other things that I've been able to do. Uh, I'm in a program with Advocates for Youth. I'm in a program for Planned Parenthood. Those experiences on my resume um, made me a standout candidate, I believe, personally. And um, that's why I think donors are important. But at the end of the day, I think... I shouldn't have had like I had this experience because I go to a specific school that has this program that has a donor that created this program right not everyone's gonna have that so that is a solution for certain people people who are interested in what I'm interested in who go to my school but that's not a systemic change that's going to flatten the playing field for everyone so we really need systemic changes to where people are able to get these experiences and people are paid across the board so basically abolish unpaid internships uh, abolish the <laughs> student exploitation industrial complex um i'm being facetious but honestly it's like every time i talk about an issue i talk about how i have operated within it and how it's worked for me it's always the exception and i definitely understand how that's not going to help anyone i mean i can tell you how to get around these systems and what to look for you know look for programs that have donors to fund your internship and apply for grants and these things but at the end of the day it's not going to be equitable until these systems don't even exist. The system of unpaid internship doesn't even exist. People don't have to apply for grants and, and look for specific types of internship in order to have the means to survive while also getting meaningful experience, meaningful experience. So that's my tea. That's my rant. Bleep HRL, especially at Tulane University. Bleep unpaid internships. Um, bleep uh, <laughs> administration that exploits student activism and student leadership. But I will just qualify all of that by saying, even though I was, I do feel like I was exploited. Um, I was able to use those experiences um, to market myself as an employee in the job market. So I will say that. I will say it did have some benefits for me. So I'm not saying go on a strike and say I'm never doing an internship. I'm never doing unpaid work because sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get what you got to get. I know Quadrilyn Jackson earlier in season one she talked about doing a career change and she had to work for free for like a year like something wild like she did an internship for like six months or a year or something go back and listen to that I think that's episode like four or five I think it's four or three so it's listen to one of the early episodes with her um because she talks about that and so sometimes you just gotta thug it out and <laughs> that is so terrible like why is it that people with the least amount of privilege have to do the most sacrificing in order to get a fraction of what people with privilege have it's all a scam but i'm just going to tell you how it's worked for quote unquote worked i'm still young we'll see if it works out how it's been working for me and how it's worked for people like quadrant jackson but i'm gonna stop talking now y'all because if i don't stop i won't stop and it's been a long time since i've had a solo episode on here i've been doing so many interviews 
um, which have been so much fun. But I didn't realize how much I just missed talking about issues that I care about. Y'all, I'm sorry if I was talking a little faster in this episode. I was really hype and excited. I tried to stop myself and slow down a couple times, but then I got excited again. I kept speeding up. So I hope you could understand it. If you couldn't, go on Instagram and tell me, Kia, you need to slow down because no one could understand what you're saying. But I think y'all, if you say that, I think you're capping because I think, y'all, I'm just going. I'm so hype. Okay, bye. (laughs)